Good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. This is your host, Dalton Dismore, and this is The Faith Prospect. Today we are joined by Brother Dennis Long. He is a licensed minister with United Pentecostal Church. He is the North Texas District Multicultural Ministries Director, and uh, he is an elder here at Dallas First Church. And when I was a kid, he was the usher that made sure I wasn't playing in the aisles. So <laughs> welcome, Brother Dennis. Oh, thank you for having me. And so, uh, uh, well, today I feel like starting, we have a little bit more time than we have in the past two. Uh, so what was your favorite? What's your favorite book of the Bible? Uh, I'd have to say for ministering to me would be Corinthians when uh, I was tested and uh, I knew there was no temptation that would come before me that God hadn't already dealt with and he'd always give me a way of escape. Wow. So I had to live that when I was in Korea and I might say some little bit more about that later. Okay. And by uh you said career. What do you mean by that? Korea. Korea. Yes. Oh, country of Korea. the country of Korea. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. So, you know, your, your relationship with God, you, I mean, I know you've been, you've been around for a while, at least here in Dallas, but where did it begin? Where did, where was your first encounter with God? Um, I would have to say my grandmother, I was raised old Pentecostal. And I would stay with her and I would hear them talking, but I would never understand. I was like five or six and I heard it, but I really didn't really get to understand it because they were old time, I mean, old time Methodists, but they didn't really push that. But I remember, I remember it just as a little kid. And wow. that was my earliest and I heard it again, of course, later on. So they were, uh, you said they grew up Methodist or Pentecostal? No, my grandparents were the old time Methodists. Okay. You know, beginning of Methodist, you know, yeah, they believed in it. Yeah. So, oh, okay. And uh, when did you, when was the first time that you, you really made the decision for yourself that, hey, you know, there may be something more to this? Well, uh, the Lord dealt with me. Of course, he blessed me with singing. So in my culture, you know, music's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so he either did worldly music or gospel music. I chose gospel music. So I was singing in choirs and kids' choirs since I was like eight years old. And where is this at? In North Carolina. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, North Carolina. So Greensboro, to be exact. So. Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. And what, what time period was this in? Oh, okay. Now you go. Let them know why they call me elder, huh? Okay. So we'd be talking the sixties. Okay. Um, I was ten years old in '68. So wow. And so this was a was this a, a Methodist church or United Pentecostal um, church? It was Baptist, actually. Oh, wow. I grew up from. Well, let's just say my father when he was around. I actually was Jehovah Witness. Really? 
Yes. It's when he was around. You just got to everything. Yeah. So <laughs> I still have to learn Christmas songs because I don't know them. We didn't do Christmas. So <laughs> when he wasn't around, then my mother stuck him. But, but yeah. So Jehovah Witness all the way up till 11, 12 when they were divorced. And then in uh, high school and junior high was was Southern Baptist. But I was always, I loved music. And my mother never had to worry. I was always singing somewhere with singing groups and stuff. Wow. What was your favorite song? Oh, man. Why do you say that? <laughs> there are too many. Man. What song did you find yourself singing more than others? Okay. You're asking me to remember 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. I'll let you off the hook. Thank uh, you. I'll let you off the hook. Um, but so you grew up, your parent, your grandparents were were Methodist, mm-hmm. and uh, oh. your parents they you were in Southern you were Southern Baptist Church through junior high. Uh, actually, till I graduated. Oh, till you graduated. To the military. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And you went to the Air Force. Yes, went to the Air Force when I was nineteen. Actually, yes. And then six months later, I got married. And six months later, you got married. Yes. Okay. And when did you uh, when did you get into Pentecost? Got into Pentecost eighty, and uh, I first time I heard somebody speak in tongues was in Korea. Really? I was in Korea in nineteen eighty. That's and that's when I made the choice to switch from singing worldly music because I still knew it. Yeah. But I had decided to dedicate my talents to gospel music. And then that's when I really started searching the word. And this and, was in Korea. Yes. Because this person in this service was something I never experienced. And this guy was prophesying and telling me stuff that only God had just told me. And I was like, okay, we'll talk more about that. What, what, what service was this? Uh, back then it was called back home hour. And actually the service was so powerful. We only had an hour. We had actually went out to the parking lot mm. and the spirit was still moving. And all of a sudden people were speaking in tongues. I didn't know what that was. Wow. I just felt the spirit. Wow. And I was amazed. I knew it was God. So came back and then remember I said, I got married when I was 19. Well, I got divorced when I was 20. Oh, wow or somewhere around it. But the thing about it is the Baptist thought you were of the devil. You spoke in tongues. So I gotcha. So I knew that was, I knew the result of that was going to be. So, and my, my wife at that time happened to be my pastor's daughter. Okay. So knew that wasn't going to work, but I just knew this was real. Came back and I said, Lord, if it's real, and he actually gave me a friend mm. that crossed the hallway from me that said, man, I know you want to come to church. And I said, D-. he said, but it's not bad. I said, man, I don't care what church it is. I need God right <laughs> now. <laughs> and I went and and it, I had that same feeling and I heard him talking the same way when I was in Korea. Wow. The one, and that was in Boston. In Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah that's where I okay. got the Holy Ghost from uh, Brother Stanford Sr. And how old were you at this point? Probably 22. Man. 
22. So you're still in the military. Yep. And how long did you stay in the military? 20 years. My first duck crew. Man. Man. So what did, uh, were you traveling around the world a lot? Oh, yeah. Well, I did nuclear security, um, intelligence stuff, spy stuff, uh, you name it, which um, got me always involved in high security things like the work doing drug and alcohol counseling. That's mm. actually what I did after the nuclear security stuff. And so I always was in really high uh, intelligence and security places like the I ran the drug and alcohol programs for all the NSA and gotcha. Pentagon and then all the hidden sites. Man. Um, you know, all on the East Coast. Like Area 51? Uh, let's. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, we're not, we're not going to get into that, but I do have a question. So, um, through all this, you know, you're obviously very heavily involved in the military. How do you, how do you balance out your faith? Well, uh, I prayed every day because when I was, Cop, I carried an M16, 120 rounds, and a M60 machine gun mm. and 40 millimeters uh, grenades. Wow. So I had to enforce the law. So, yeah. Um, so I would pray every day, Lord, don't let me take the safety off. Then I went to be a social worker, drug alcohol counselor. Well, I was amazing in the military and all of my assignments. Three quarters of the population were scientists and stuff on those sites. So um, where I was placed. So it was more civilian and it worked good. I worked Monday through Friday. Weekends off. And it was un unreal. <laughs> I couldn't believe I had that job in the military. Man. So I got to always be with people. I was always the one they always saw first. Because of my job, I worked on the staff level under the commander. Did God ever use you during that time to, to witness to people? Oh, man. Or would you were even allowed to? Uh, that was interesting because back in the 80s, they were just starting to realize the spiritual side of in counseling. Mm. And so they recognized it in me. And so all my co-counselors, would, when we would get to spiritual parts, they would send them to me. Wow. So it was amazing. And I did get uh, clients and stuff that went to the same church I went to. It's great. Their kids I taught them in Sunday school. It was great. It was, it was an incredible opportunity. Yeah. And this is all when you're in North Carolina? No, this is when I was in Boston. Boston. Okay. Yes. And Boston. Yeah. And so it's that I carry that all the way through when I was stationed at NSA and stationed over in the war when uh we had Desert Storms, Desert Shield. I still had that same job. Gotcha. So, and then went to last six years, became head of um, mental health office. Okay. People that have mental health issues. And so, of course, I'm constantly right there with people that need. Mm. So I could, from off duty, I could talk about God. Man. So, since you worked in mental in mental health with in those issues and obviously you know how did 
how did your theology affect how you counsel people? Oh, that was not hard at all because I, I developed the programs. Oh, wow. So there was always the component of spiritual. So when I got to that part, I was able to let give them the opportunity to know that um, the gospel didn't preach to them. It's like a chaplain. You know, you don't can't push, but you can inform. Mm. And that's that's how I was able to. And I met people that were raised in Pentecost and then that was I was the first person they heard talk about it. And they, they came back to church. Man, is there without, you know, obviously giving any kind of confidential information. <laughs> That's up, I'm trying to re- is there a, myself. Is there any story that you can tell us or that sticks out particularly during that time mm. where God really moved? Wow. Okay. I'm going to think back. I've been out of military since 97. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, just the wonderful thing of the clients that did come to church, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, got baptized, and I was able to be involved in their life. Mm. And that was the best thing to be able to do that. Yeah. So just being able to witness to people and they get the Holy Ghost. And that was a lot. I affected a lot of people when I left. So that's all I can think about everywhere I went. I did affect a lot of people for the gospel. Wow. So where was the next place you went? Uh, From Boston? Mm -hmm. No, I went over to the war. I was in Southern Turkey. Okay. Which is excellent because you got to go to Tarsus, Ephesus, and see the Hittite birds and all that stuff. Wow. It was great, but being in war isn't. (laughs) <laughs> I imagine. Because then you have war skills. Yeah. So I had war skills that because of my clearance, you know, I was in there with the generals. And gotcha. One of my job was when it happened, I get on the top of your phone and tell them all the codes. This is what we had to do. This is mm-hmm. where we're at. You know, man. So uh, while you were, while you were overseas during the war, is there, um, how did, did God move the same way through you just reaching people oh, through the gospel? Oh yeah. Well, over there was definitely different. Everybody knew you, everybody, I mean, on this base, everybody knew you, but the big thing was when the changed everything, when the Saddam Hussein was sending the missiles over mm. and we didn't have any protection. And I never forget as long as I live, it was coming. We knew it was coming. And I was putting all of my chemical gear on, and the Lord stopped me. And all of a sudden, I saw my whole life go before me. And then he said, it's not time yet. I've got more for you to do. And I took everything off, went outside, and just told everybody. Now, the night before, I've seen a guy that's, you ever seen a Delta Force and all those kind of guys? So I talked to them, too. They were running and screaming. Mm-hmm. Some were scared. And I said, don't be scared. And 
course of my position, everybody saw that. Now, what I did could have got me court-martialed for what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but when That's God faith. tells you, you don't have to worry about it. That's faith. And then from then on, they wanted me in all, everything, everything public. I was the one that always sang all the patriotic songs. All the generals would come and say, hey, where's Sergeant Long? We need him to. So everybody, I really had a huge impact on people there. Wow. For my faith, for believing. And, you know, so my best friends were all pastors, all preachers. A lot of <laughs> preachers were developed there. Man, that's cool. Yeah. So oh, that's cool. It was quite, quite the event in my life. It changed me completely. Sounds like it. Man. So. Um, you know, you right now we're in a, uh, a climate of racism is, is really prevalent. You know, the, everyone's talking about it. Mm. So many things happening in the world right now. Mm. Well, you grew up in a time where, you know, you've told me some stories in passing about even the United Pentecostal church where you were, where you were going to church. You can, can you talk to us about that? What it was like? Oh. Back then, especially in the South. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was churches, even in the North, where blacks were on one side, Caucasians were on another side, or I would travel and I was doing something. And my friend that was with me, he told me, he said, man, I called them, but they said, no, they can't pick up people like me to come to my, their church. <laughs> of course, it's. When I was in Montgomery, Alabama, I was the first black person there. Mm. So, but back then, me, they used to call me the crazy man. <laughs> so they still I, call you that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've dealt with that my whole life, and of course, I didn't tell you that my secondary job in the military was mm. race relations, really, and human relations. That's my office. We did both, so I was qualified in both. And so I'd walk into a room and everybody's loud. Then all of a sudden it gets silent because mm. they couldn't say racial jokes. And say, if I was there, I would have to enforce things. So for me, I've always dealt with it. Always had to. But as you can, as you know, if uh, my wife was here, you know, we're multicultural. <laughs> Yes, yes, you are. <laughs> when we walk into the room, like, oh, they're multicultural. <laughs> so I've lived it. Uh, there's just so many stories, man. Well, tell us one. Well, especially the ones in, when I was the only black person there, I was comfortable. Because when I grew up, we always got bus, so we were always indifferent. I was always maybe the one black person so hmm. uh probably the one when i could play basketball and i was there and you know how i worship yeah made some of the older, older folks nervous but or like i'm friendly you know with them and of course the girls are friendly with me in there and uh and i tried to tell them don't worry about it man it's cool and uh but the young people, 
they gravitated to to me mm-hmm. and i and i helped the older people be comfortable okay i did it on purpose to change the environment wow and then from then on they were starting to welcome so that was one of my things when i went to places like that was there ever a time where where racism affected your faith No, no, right. No, because I believe I always believed the Lord came for everybody Mm. and I wanted to be like Jesus Christ and have the same attitude. So I just looked at it as ignorance. So I never reacted to it. Um, There were people say things to me, you know, Mm -hmm. but I would never react to it. I know in. When I was in Boston, you know, in the eighties, take forever for them to wait on us. We knew it was because of us, you know, but in Boston, it was multicultural church I went to. Mm -hmm. So my best friends were Italian and, and, and Jews. So when we all went to places back then, you know, we were treated different, but we didn't, we just didn't think anything of it. We just looked at people as being ignorant. That's, that's how I dealt with it the whole time. What about people in the church? Oh, wow. Yeah. People in the church. I did the same approach. I knew how it was, and I knew I never argued with somebody that was really racist because you can't argue with ignorance. Yeah. That's the way I viewed it. But I just always gonna be the best Christian I could around them. The weapons of my warfare are not Connor, but the money through God. And that's the way I used. I always said, as the scripture share, there is nothing, nothing that can fight love. And that's how I dealt with it. I would love people. Mm. I mean, I faced it, but it was never a significant thing for me because I just always loved people regardless. Wow. So the Lord put that in me. So that's all I can say. Uh, I just love people. Is there, and I, I get kind of get the feeling of what, what you might answer to this, but I'm going to ask it nevertheless. Um, what would you, what kind of advice would you give to somebody today who is experiencing racism specifically in the church on how to deal with it both internally and I guess practically well as an elder yeah you know I would I would actually just sit down and talk to them just say and let them say what they believe and all that um if I saw now as an elder, of course, if I saw that it was causing division in the church, then of course we would be meeting with the pastor, you know, but one on one, I just listen. And usually cause as a counselor, I can usually find out what the core issue is of, they may be treated some way and they're projecting it on the people or mm-hmm. how they were educated. That's how I did. I, I take each individual person, 
But that's because of my years of experience. A younger person may not have been able to deal with this. But at this level, I don't see anything I can't deal with when it comes to church, especially racism. But the but I see it. I mean, as soon as I see a hint of it, I'm going to talk to the person. I'm mm. going to befriend the person and find out what's going on so that I can stop that. If I, if you can get it at the smallest or just a little, you you can you can get to it. That's that's um, man. I I've seen because I've seen people who have who've dealt with racism and their inclination was to leave, you know, go somewhere, go to a different church or, or, or bail out. So the fact that you're saying to, to not, not to leave, but in oh, fact, no. get closer to whoever it is that's causing it to try to minister to them. That's sin is sin. How are we going to help people if we don't <laughs> communicate with them, man? where they are because we know where they can go but we got to meet them i think and you know i'm on a lot of ministers forums and everything i don't i don't think i've ever seen anyone say what you just said just to befriend someone you know they're they're talking about how to deal with it systemically and how to root it out but no one has ever i don't think anyone has ever said to me Go and just talk to him like you would a sinner. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, love whew, and cut through the thickest wall. But you have to be prayed up with the spirit and the word because the love of Christ enables you to do that. Not your human spirit, mm. but his love. And they cannot resist. They can try. But if they do, of course, they're just going to dig deeper. Yeah. But that's not my responsibility. My responsibility is at least show them love of Christ. Has is there a specific instance where God has worked through you to reach someone like that? Uh, I almost reached a when I was younger, um, Satan worshiper. I was the only person he. He, he just couldn't get by, you know. He's just <laughs> like, man. Um, him, uh, you know, he didn't come over, but he didn't. I got him to what well, he couldn't attack me. Yeah. And uh, so he went on because he was like, man, this is, he knew something was real. Mm -hmm. So, um, man, I, I have forgotten about all that stuff, man. I just, it's for me, it's not significant. Like when I'm listening to people going, I'll just say, well, you still got, does Jesus love them when they're ranting and raving? Mm. I just try to get to understand people because when you understand, it's hard to, you know, go off, but listen to understand. And uh, then go, then use wisdom. You know, ask God for wisdom. I just keep it real simple. I like it. <laughs> I like it. It's simple. What was that uh, acronym? I 
my uh, teacher used to tell me in the fifth grade, <laughs> kiss, kiss, yeah, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Uh, yeah that's that's the way to do it man because god don't jesus is not complicated Mm. he's just not it's just we get caught up in our own stuff like when you're reacting to them it's god's stuff you look at yourself what in why are you reacting to them if you stay christ-centered and you won't do it Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Usually when I when I react to stuff, it's because of pride. I I can get, I walk around it all the time. I think about it all the time, different different situations, and I usually can boil it down to pride. Mm. Something inside me that wants to stand up for whatever reason. Or you got the answer. Yeah. It's always inside when you're reacting to something. Don't look at them. Look at how you're why are you responding to that? I always ask myself, why am I responding or not responding? Because responding is a positive thing. Reacting is the negative. If I'm reacting, why? And it's not that person. It's me. Mm-hmm. It's me. So what'd you do after the military? Okay. Military. Actually, I said, how can I get the fathers away from military life? (laughs) I said, ah, I got it. Go be at the university in the daytime with the kids and the professors. So this is so this is 20 years. So you're around 40. Yeah. Well, 79. So I was like, um, was it 70? When I get 97, sorry, I got here in 97. Okay. And so. And this is when you came to Dallas. Yes. Okay. So the people. I decided that I was going to go to that. And my continuing education was always with psychiatric nursing. Psychiatric nursing? Yes. Okay. Because they, we took the same continuing education classes. So I said, well, I'll just do that. So my, my, I think my GPA at that point, couldn't do it now, was like 3.8. So I, to get into university up here at uh, Arlington Nursing, it was, it was quite high. But I got in there. And uh, I made it six months until they told me. Well, your clinicals, you're going to have to do for a year, Saturday and Sunday, all your weekends. I was like, oh, wow. No more military life. So <laughs> I switched back to security and, and computer stuff. Okay. So working for AT&T and, you know, Comcast, all that stuff. And, of course, after all that, then I became a totally opposite and became an old road truck driver for 11 years and, you know, <laughs> career stuff. And You've done a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But church, I did not plan to come. I mean, I only came here because God told me to, because every significant thing that happened to me in the military was in Texas and I hated Texas. <laughs> My friends couldn't believe it. I said, well, you know, I used to sing that song, God, I'll go where you want me to go. Do what you want me to do. And of course, you know, God has this thing about 
okay, well, if you really, you know, you really believe what you're saying. All right, go over here. Yeah, so that's where you've been. Texas. Texas that nobody believed. So you said that you feel like God wanted you here. Why? Why? He, he, well, I had to ask him, Lord, where when you get out in the military in 20 years, you can go anywhere in the world, anywhere. And they're going to pay everything for it. Really? Everything. No expense. When you retire, they if I wanted to go stay in Hawaii, if I wanted to go stay in Guam, if I wanted to go stay, as long as it's not a communist country. Wow. They would send you. Okay, I'd already, well, now that is negative experience, I God had already let me have my way when I was in Maryland, and that was horrible. And so I learned, God, okay, from now on, I don't care. I'm not picking where I go. Mm-hmm. And he said, here. I was looking at seven different places, and he said, here. <sighs> but it was the best thing ever. So I'd only stand side to say four, but here I am. What almost thirty years? What it's been a while. It's been a while. Been here since as long as I can remember. <laughs> yeah. So and so, you're in Dallas now, and what? You know, let me let me let me throw you a curveball. <laughs> So you know, I was happily single when I was here too. Okay. <laughs> yes, I do. Uh, um, let's talk miracles. Oh wow, that's easy. Well, it's easy. That's Tell easy. me about it, dude. I shouldn't be here. Why not? Twenty seventeen, September twenty fourth. My wife and I were driving happily, just driving, getting ready to go home, celebrate my nephew's birthday. Clear skies. We're driving and out of the blue. We're in the intersection and I look over and I see this red. I'm in the middle of the intersection. And I see it and all I say, he's coming. I don't know how I touched the brakes, but just enough time. Half an inch was all it took. Maybe not even a half inch. If it had been any more, I don't know. I I know my wife wouldn't be here. It would. It did not touch the door, but it bent like maybe a quarter of an inch from the door, but destroyed the whole car. I had a Lincoln and destroyed it and knocked us across into other traffic, into other cars. Wow. We were spinning. I didn't even know it. I just, I only had time to say Jesus. And I could see everything moving in slow motion. And everybody goes, I got friends now. Um, You know, one of them, his daughter, same wreck. He looked at pictures. His daughter died from the same wreck. My wife has pins in her knees right now. But other than that, that's the second time in my life the Lord just turned things around. 
And I got to see the seriousness and the, just how quickly things can end. And then, of course, the miracle of surviving COVID this February. And I was in the hospital with the COVID pneumonia. There was people that died while I was there, people that were still there. And uh, I kept telling them. It was like three days. I said, look, I'm out of here by Super Bowl time. I don't care what y'all say. <laughs> she, she was the nurse. They were looking at me like, what's long? Um, we look at things hour by hour. I said, well, I don't care. And I was on four liters of oxygen. Yeah. Wow. So, But every day, it kept going down. And they kept looking at me. I was like, I told you. I said, there's too many people praying. I'm out of here. <laughs> so you don't believe it yet, but it's going to happen. And it did yeah. 30 minutes before Super Bowl. <laughs> That's funny. I said, I told you. That's funny. Oh, God, you got dude. released 30 minutes before the Super Bowl? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. I told, I said, I said, I tell everybody, getting COVID for me, was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. You're alone. And there's only you and God. Mm. You don't you don't feel like talking to nobody. You ain't got energy to do nothing except think. And I did. And I am a totally different person. What'd you think about? Started from, you know, that experience, how your life goes before you. Mm. That's how it started. And every minute thing of my life went before me and God. And I end. Decided what's most important. And that's what I'm going to go after. And of course, that was my wife. You know, my family, my church, but in such a different way. Applying everything that I know making sure just like my wife, you know, communication, she, she, she's getting used to it. You know, she has a soft voice and it fades away. I used to let it go. Don't let it go no more. <laughs> I do not. I don't care what you're saying. I'm going to understand what you're saying. Yeah. So we, we stop, but it's increased our communication level. It just, just all the little minute things that are really important it it just refocused me completely. Man. And I'm just totally different. Your your desert place is the best place to be with God. Because it fo you really focus on him and not on your self-sufficiency, which is of course delusion anyway. So those are my I just stick out to me that's changed my life. Hmm. And they were always life and death. I don't know if I'm a hard learner or not. That's what it took. <laughs> God tried to get your attention other time. You just didn't catch it. He's like, all right. Yeah, that, well, it's like, it's like getting married. You know how that is. Well, I don't know how that is. Yeah, you know, yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Uh, but the Lord finally, he changed me on that too. And so... um 
We've talked about miracles with yourself, but what about miracles in others? What have you? Oh, wow, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> You've been to Dallas Church how long? Oh, I've been here. Man, people, livers healed, cancer healed, man. People raised from the dead. Uh, man. I mean, the hearing restored. There, but can go on and on. What specific one sticks out to you the most of your time here at Dallas? Oh, wow. And it sticks out to the worst. Mm. I'd have to say my my friend uh, when she was healed of cancer. That was amazing. And then the one with uh, uh, you know our, our doctor is here and healed that young boy where well, they didn't think he was going to live. And he did. I don't want to say names and stuff, but what was wrong with him? It was a baby. I'm trying to remember now, but it was, it was defects in him. Hmm. And, uh, and then what was that, that other one where that boy where pastor had prayed, the whole church had prayed. And he wasn't supposed to live. And then he showed up in church. So you're talking about with brain, you had brain yeah. cancer? Yeah. Yeah. Remember that one? Oh, my goodness. Oh, it was amazing. <laughs> it was amazing. But, of course, that's God. It is God. So. And so we're, we're wrapping up here. Uh, you know, there's one, there's one more subject I feel to to kind of touch on we in it. It's a weird one because it doesn't go along with anything we've talked about today. Okay. But uh, faith and finances. Oh, my. Come on now. Talk to us about it. How do I, we, what's, what are the, what are the, the, the core principles of being a good steward with your finances as a Christian? Don't rob God. How do you, well, 10% what never. Ever keep it ever. Okay. In my young life, I made that mistake. Don't worry. You're going to lose more than 10% when you hold from God. Now you curse, you, you know, you just got that curse on. Mm. And then me and my wife, we made sure we always 5% is going to come out automatic. We do that. Then we'll give more, but we're going to make sure every offering we give now. Financially, you know, I I I did um what's the name? The guy that wants you to be out of debt all the time. Ramsey. Yeah. No, I did that. And I'm gonna tell you. It is freedom like you never felt. Don't live beyond your means. Mm. Live within your means. You don't have to live below your means. But just normal living. Get that emergency account, six to twelve months. Get it. As when Murphy comes by, you just wave at him as he drives by, because <laughs> he can't come into your house. It finances affect every part of your life, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It is modern 
day slavery. Mm. Head over heels in debt. Does not represent God. Represents our system. You know, our government's always spending more money than they got. Yeah. When are they not in a deficit? Yeah. So finances, man. Well, what advice would you give to somebody who's in debt right now and it's, you know, overcoming them? Oh, I would say if you don't know anything and he ain't paid me to t- tell you this, but do Dave Ramsey. You want to get out of debt. He gives you the, as he would say, grandma's way. <laughs> and it is, it absolutely, it absolutely works. And you do the snowball, you know, pay the smallest one first. Boom. Get that. Okay. All that payment you used. Okay. Now you're going to go to the next one. Get that off. Continue to do that same amount of money, but continue to keep adding it. Keep adding it. Of course, get that emergency account. Thousand dollars first as fast as possible. Sell things. Get a part-time job. Do whatever. Then you can look at the other parts of education, your insurance, all that stuff. But I tell anybody, you want to know what freedom feels like? Just get yourself out of debt and stay out of it. That's the next step. Mm. So I I would tell them do that. There's that's the like the foundation. The foundation. And of course, they want to know more. You know, they can call Dallas First Church. I'm right here. <laughs> Oh, man, you heard it from here. He'll take your call. <laughs> oh, man, is there is there any advice you'd, you'd just give to anyone that of what you've learned over the course of your life, something you live by? Hmm. Okay, that's a lot. Oh, but I would say wherever I'm at, wherever I talk to you, somehow, some way that I act and speak in a way that they know Jesus is alive in me. Mm-hmm. And that can be simple. And I simply call it Christ-centered. So when I'm talking to you or like you're saying something to me, I come back, whatever I say, is filled with the word of God. Not like you have to repeat the word of God, but you actually are giving them that through you. Yeah. And it gives simple, like today, just persons walking through the door and they got a cane. I made sure open that door, then I opened the next door. Kindness. Kindness is one of the greatest strengths you can have. Mm. It will speak everybody, every language, kindness translates, no matter what language they are in. And so if I can be known as a somebody call me, you are a good man. That's what I treat. And I just try to be kind to people. And it it really, even that can open the door to those people that you are talking about that are racist. So that will be it. Mm -hmm. Would you pray for us? Sure.
Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have allowed us, God, to share this time together with those that are listening. I ask, Father, that it ministers to them and triggers in them uh, want to be more like you, a, a desire, God, for all these subjects that we've talked about, the harshness that's going out through the world. As that old song, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that the world has so little love. And I'm praying, God, that we will spread your love wherever we are. Let our sphere, sphere of influence, God, be saturated by your word and your love. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today, Brother Dennis. It was, I feel like I learned a lot more about you. And man, I feel. Mm. Thank you. Feel the movement of God. But you have a wonderful day. Thank you for taking the time out. And man, hopefully we get to do this again. Okay, man. Yeah. We'll see you. All right. All right.